happy uh, belated Valentine's Day. You know, last week was uh, uh, Valentine's Day on Wednesday. At my house, we kind of celebrated on Tuesday because I had to work all day Wednesday. We have staff meeting and then had to prepare for the Bible study on Wednesday night and then had the meal and, and the uh, Bible study Wednesday night. Uh, first time I had been here, I think, in six weeks. And uh, so it was a long day Wednesday, so we kind of celebrated. I bought cards for uh, Granny and Grandma and Jeanette and Caitlin and Candy and some roses. And I just kind of went all out. I, I made some chocolate-dipped strawberries. And, you know, I, I was wanting to show my love for my family because for the last six weeks they've put up with me being sick and uh, being down and out and they have really waited on me and taken care of me and so I wanted to express my love. Did you hear what the, what the Valentine card said to the stamp? Stick with me and we'll show some love. Okay, so uh, I want you to think about that today. I want you to think about showing love because that's what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to show some love. Now, as you know, uh, I have been sick for the past uh, six weeks. Actually, it's been going on for months before that, but I was on a downhill slide basically since October of last year. And finally, in January, it just came to the point where I was not able to, to really function very well. I'd lost about 40 pounds. Uh, turns out that was due to several things, uh, one of which was some medicine that was making me sick. And, uh, of course, many of you know I do have an autoimmune disease called lupus, and that had flared up, and it causes a lot of uh, rheumatoid arthritis and joint pain and, and also fatigue. Uh, one doctor I read describe the fatigue that you have with lupus when it flares up as being like having chronic flu, uh, just, just pain and suffering and no energy. And so I was down and out. But during that time, a lot of people showed me a lot of love. And I appreciate that. Cards and, and gifts and encouragement and text messages and emails and all kinds of ways and prayers that were lifted up. And finally, I think the doctors are on to the right medicine, and it seems to be working. And hopefully, I'm on the mend and back, back to going. And, you know, during the time, you know, when you're, when you're suffering like that, you're, you're waiting. And despite all the love that you get, you know, you, you wonder, what is God up to while, while I'm waiting to get better? And also, when you get sick, you know, John, no offense, but you're waiting on doctors a lot of times. You're waiting in a doctor's office. You're waiting on reports to come back. You're waiting on tests to, to tell you what's wrong and waiting and waiting. I heard about one doctor that was having a terrible morning. His very first patient was difficult, and it took him three times the amount of time that he had allotted to uh, service that patient. It happens sometimes, but you want to give him the care that he deserves. And so he's running behind then all day. And finally, this one guy had an appointment later on in the morning, and, and he was waiting on the doctor to come in and 
when the doctor finally came into the office, the man had pulled the sheet up over his head and put a note on top that said, too late. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's too late. Thank goodness it's not too late for me. But we're all going to suffer at times. We're all going to have illness or problems in our life. And, and we are going to suffer. Despite the fact that God loves us and God has called us to show love to others, we're going to suffer. And you may ask, why are you talking about suffering when you said the title of the sermon was Commitment, Commitment to Christ? I'll get there in a minute, but I want you to think about this idea of suffering for just a minute. We are finishing up our series on uh, Engage Bristol today, and we've been going through, you know, we began this series. It's funny, I preached the first sermon in this series and the last sermon today, and there were six sermons in between, and boy, I really thank the elders and the staff and, and those that have filled in while I'm out, Dennis, and, and of course, uh, uh, Matt Mangrum, Chris's brother, came up from Poplar Ridge Church and preached one week, uh, Chris preached, and Matt Moser, our youth minister, preached one week, and David Hicks preached, and uh, John Culp filled in for my Wednesday night Bible study while I was out, so the elders and the staff really stepped up during this time, and I appreciate that. And through this series, if you go back, and all these are on the, the website, if you haven't heard some of these, we began by talking about the new life that people can have in Christ and how he wants us to get that message out of new life. And we've talked about our city and serving our city and, and weeping over our city because there are so many that don't know Christ. Christ weeped over Jerusalem. And we've talked about understanding our city and the need that people have to know Jesus. We've talked about loving our city and about serving our city and about sharing with our city the message of Jesus Christ. But today I do want to talk to you a little bit about commitment. And what does commitment to engage Bristol really look like? There's no doubt in my mind the Lord wants us to commit to bring Christ to the community in which we live. If you think about the culture we live in, and if you, if you pay attention, you realize our American culture is sliding downhill. The, the values and the morality in our culture are sliding. And as a result of that, as the Bible tells us it will happen, there are more and more people that are suffering today. Despite the fact that they think that going in the direction away from God will bring them great joy, and it does for a time. The Bible even tells us that. But eventually it leads suffering and it leads to agony and it leads to problems and I'm just going to tell you the old song says people need the Lord everybody needs Jesus and Jesus wants everybody to come to know him and to understand him and you know what he's put on our shoulders to take the message of his love and his grace out to this world 
As we think about commitment, I want you to think about something. You know what commitment means? You know what a commitment is? It's an agreement to suffer for a certain cause. When you're committed to something, you're saying, I will suffer for that cause. If you're committed in a marriage, you will say, I will put up with a lot. I will suffer to make this marriage work. If you're committed to a job, you say, I will suffer. I'll get out of bed every morning and be on time, and I'll, I'll go and I'll suffer. I'll work. So a commitment is an agreement to suffer for a cause. We're going to think about that commitment today. You know, even the first century church strayed away from their commitment that they originally made. And Peter, in, in 1 Peter which is going to be our text today, 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter was writing to this church that was suffering because of their faith. They were being persecuted. They were being put down because they claimed to be Christians. And he's writing to a first a group of churches uh, listed in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. It's, uh, it's a group of churches that are located today in modern day what we call the country of Turkey. And they were, they were having to suffer there. Apparently through the years, people quit suffering for the Lord there. There was a vibrant group of churches there at one time. I read just this week that today 90% of the people in the country of Turkey are Muslim. Only 0.2% of the population of Turkey is Christian. You think, wow, we have a lot more Christians in America. But you know that number is dwindling down too. Will there come a time when there will only be 0.2% Christians in America because the church didn't suffer, because the church didn't commit to go and be Jesus, be feet on the ground in the community to save souls? Let's listen to the words and let's heed the words of the Apostle Peter as we look in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. I just want to begin with one verse here in the beginning, verse 12. Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening. Fiery ordeal. What, what is a fiery ordeal? That sounds to me like something that's going to test you, that's going to cause you to suffer. A fiery ordeal. I don't know if people were chasing them around with fiery torches or what was going on, but it was something that was causing the church to suffer. You know, as Christians, we may suffer as we engage our city. Now, there's a, there's a popular theology out there today that is preached in some churches not all, but, but, but that theology says, you just give your life to Christ and everything's going to be great. Especially if you, if you send a tithe into the church, God's going to bless you and your life's going to be taken care of. It's called a, a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It sounds good. It appeals to a lot of people, but it's really not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that God will bless our lives as we go through, but it also teaches that 
just because we give our life to Christ doesn't mean we're not going to face trouble. We're not going to have suffering in this life. Jesus, in fact, said, in this world, you will have trouble. Since Adam and Eve committed the first sin, this world's been under a curse. And that curse has brought death into this world. And sometimes people get sick, and sometimes people die, and people suffer in this world. Even the folks that have committed, truly committed their life to Christ. Because this world is broken. And so there will be suffering in this world. You will have trouble. The Bible has a lot to say about suffering. I could talk all day on suffering. There are some specific verses where God tells us how He will use suffering. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writing says, You know what? God's going to comfort you in your suffering if you belong to Him. But he's comforting you to teach you so you can comfort others, it says, with the comfort he has given you. So sometimes when you're suffering, God is going to work in that. He's going to teach you about his comfort so that you can go out and maybe comfort somebody that doesn't know the Lord and show the Lord's comfort to them. It goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, God used suffering. He said, we were in the province of Asia ministering, and we felt the sentence of death. Paul said, we thought we were going to die because of preaching Christ. And he said, but you know what? This happened for a purpose. This happened that we might learn to rely not on ourselves, but on God. Paul said, God used that suffering to teach me how to rely on Him. In Hebrews chapter 12, believe it or not, the Scripture says God uses hardship and suffering sometimes to discipline us. When we get out of line, when we're not exactly going the way that God wants us to go, sometimes God uses suffering in that. And He's using that to discipline us. Hebrews 12 says... The Lord's treating you as children. And and what child does not have to suffer discipline from a good parent? So God sometimes uses suffering to discipline us. James chapter 1 says, When you suffer, consider it pure joy. That's not always easy to do. These last six weeks, there have been some days when it has not been joyful. But I've always tried to ask myself, God, what are you up to? How are you using this? And James goes on to tell us that sometimes God uses suffering to mature us. To to teach us about God. And to bring us uh, to a more mature faith. You know, how can you learn to trust God if you never have to suffer? If you never have to go through a fiery ordeal? How can you learn to trust God? It's in those fiery ordeals where God reveals Himself to us and shows us who He is. Here in 1 Peter, in the first chapter there, Peter talks about, oh, you're saved because of your faith. He says that doesn't mean you won't have to suffer. Sometimes uh, your, your faith will be tested. He goes on, goes on to say there, listen, listen to this verse. 
these have come. He's talking about the suffering. You have to suffer grief, verse 6. Verse 7, these have come so uh, that the proven genuineness of your faith, which that faith is of greater worth than gold, he says, which gold perishes even though refined by fire, so that that may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. You understand what he's talking about here? Gold and precious metals are sometimes refined by fire. How, how do you get, you get the gold ore, the, the pure nugget out of the ground, or, or silver or some precious metal? And you know how they, they bring that uh, and make it pure gold is they heat it, or pure silver. They heat that up. They put fire to it. And it separates out the pure silver or gold from, from the impurities in it. There was a, a story of a silversmith who was purifying some silver ore, and somebody was watching, and he was heating it up, and they said, well, how do you know how long to heat it? How do you know when it's ready, when it's been purified? And the silversmith said, when I can see myself in it. You know, sometimes God puts the, the heat to us to refine us, to purify us. How does he know when we've been purified, when he can begin to see himself in us? God uses suffering. He uses suffering to teach us, to mold us, to make us, to, to mature us, to teach us, to rely on him, to teach us how he can comfort us so that we can comfort others. You know, we're in a spiritual battle. There is, there is a battle. God has allowed Satan to come against us, to tempt us, to lead us astray. We have a choice to make, a, a decision to make. It is a war that we're in with the devil. In fact, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter reminds the church, abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. That's because Satan's always working against us. And so when we begin to mature and we begin to do the things that God wants us to do, Satan's going to work overtime. There will be some suffering that we have to go through. He's going to try to discourage us and stop us from doing what we have committed to do for Jesus Christ. He'll try to prevent us. Satan right now is working to try to stop us from reaching our city for Jesus Christ. He's trying to prevent us from going out and teaching people about Jesus. You should not be surprised when you run into Satan. Because for one thing, you should be traveling the opposite direction that Satan is traveling. So you're going to run into him. He's going to try to discourage you. And as we engage our city, we, we, we will have suffering. We will have difficulty. Peter tells us that right here in this passage. But we want more people to turn to Christ because we want to strengthen the kingdom of God and strengthen our city. 
And that means sometimes we'll have to do things we don't want to do. We'll have to do sometimes face ridicule. And we'll have to face cursing. And we'll have to face slander. And we'll have to face people that put us down. That's all the work of Satan. Because we're trying to bring the message of the love and the grace of Jesus to the world. And especially to Bristol. Let's move on in our text. Let's look at, at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. As, as Peter had said there, don't think that this is something strange, this suffering that you have to face. But verse 13, he says this, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So, I want you to think for just a minute about the fact that suffering for Christ will lead to joy. That's what Peter's telling us. Notice he says there, rejoice if we suffer. He, he reminds us here that Christ had to suffer. You remember they nailed him to a cross, right? They beat him half to death first, and then they nailed him to a cross and put him in the hot sun for six hours. That's one kind of suffering. There are different kinds of suffering. Christ also suffered because people insulted him. He suffered because his own people rejected him. He suffered because he was ridiculed for trying to bring the message that God had sent him to bring. There are different kinds of suffering. You can suffer for doing wrong. You know the old saying, a biblical saying, you reap what you sow. Peter brings up the fact here that you can do some things that will bring suffering. You can commit murder or thievery or any kind of criminal act. Even be a meddler, he says. You know what a meddler is, right? As somebody that's involved in everybody else's business, worried about everybody else, they, they gossip and, and they just always wreak havoc and cause trouble. It's ungodly, along with murder and thieving and criminal acts. And you can, you can suffer because you do those things that go against the will of God. You know, those things will sometimes cause your whole family to suffer and face ridicule. They bring shame in your life. That's not what Christ wants. He says if you do suffer, it, it should come as a result of living out your Christian faith. Because you're, you're doing what God wants you to do. You're suffering for Christ. Suffering as Christ suffered. You're doing good in an evil world. There's a lot of good that can be done in the evil world. You know, we can go about helping others. 
but you know, you know the old saying, right? No good deed goes unpunished. You know, that's the, that's the thought that, yeah, every time I do something good for somebody, it comes back to bite me, doesn't it? It comes back to haunt me. Something happens. They're not appreciative, or I get myself in trouble because I was trying to help somebody. We can suffer because we tell the gospel. We can suffer because we speak the truth. We can suffer because we try to do good. We can suffer because we hold to the fact that we believe Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved and get to heaven. And people will ridicule us and put us down. But you know what? First Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter writes this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Peter's saying, listen, live a good life. Try to, try to do the will of God out in this evil world so that people will see your life. Now, they may shut you down. They may insult you. They may, they may come against you because they see the good that you're doing. You know, darkness hates the light, so they'll, they'll try to put your light out. But, but Peter's saying, do it anyway, because eventually they're going to say, you know what? Those people are pretty good. They do good in this world. And, they, and, and, and they're going to see us, and eventually they're going to come to say, you know what, I want what they have, because they have joy. Because they're not trying to please man, they're pleasing God. And, and there's some kind of uh, something that happens. There's joy in their life because they please God. You see, we don't have to please the world. We'll find more joy if we just please God and do His will. And we'll begin to see the joy that comes into our life as we go forward. Peter brings up the fact that, you know, it's, it's hard for a righteous person to find salvation. It's hard for, for, for those who do believe in God because they have to suffer. But how much harder is it for those that don't know the Lord, he says? It's impossible for them without coming to know Jesus. And you know what I've learned in, in 27 years of ministry now? One of the greatest joys that I've come to know is there is no greater feeling than to know you had a little part in helping somebody turn from the world to Jesus Christ. There is no greater feeling than that. When you know, when, when you tell somebody the gospel and, and they say, yes, I want to accept the Lord. I tell you what, you will, if you haven't done it, and if you haven't experienced it, you can't understand the feeling that it is to know that you made a difference in somebody's life for eternity. Now, I know the Spirit works in that, and God is at work in that, but He uses us to work through us to help bring people to know this new life that we talked about in the, in the first sermon in this message. I read this week about Steve Henning, Steve was born in 1941, 
the World War II was going on. In 1943, a little two-year-old child, he contracted uh, spinal meningitis, and there wasn't medicine. The, because of the war, penicillin was short, and they weren't able to give him the medicine that he needed to fight off the infection, and he wound up losing his hearing. So from the time he was two years old, the rest of most of his life, he didn't have hearing. Now, he lived a pretty normal life. Uh, he even eventually got married. He graduated from school. He did all the things that people do, but he went through life without his hearing. And in 2001, they had a device that he had planted in his ear that uh, enabled him to hear again. It bypassed the auditory nerve and, and somehow enabled him to hear again. And they put that device in, but after they put it in, they had to wait six weeks for the swelling to go down before they could activate it. And so the, imagine the anticipation. But on the day they were to activate this hearing device and turn it on, remember now, Steve hasn't heard a, a song. He hasn't heard laughter. He hasn't heard a voice. He hasn't even heard the sound of his own wife talking to him. And the doctor invited his wife to come into the room as they activated this device. And on that day in 2001, they turned the device on and the doctor looked at his wife and said, say something to your husband. And for the first time in 57 years, he heard a human voice look him in the eye and say, I love you. Imagine the feeling. He broke out in, in smile and and joy as he heard that sound of that voice. You know, when you help lead somebody to Christ, God turns on our spiritual ears, and for the first time, people come to hear the voice of the Lord say, I love you. Here's grace. You're forgiven. Now come follow me into eternity. And you have the opportunity be part of that. Listen to verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Notice the word commit. What does commit mean? It means we agree to suffer for a cause. It's the cause of Christ. And joy comes as we commit our lives to Christ and His will. Peter says, continue to do God's will. Continue to do good. Joy is hard to experience in the midst of suffering. I, I know that all too well. But when you commit to live for Christ and follow through, the joy will come. You know, so often the joy of the Christian life is missed. By so many people. People say, well, I became a Christian, but I don't feel much different. Nothing much different. And so often that's because they really, they say they're Christian, but there's no commitment. They don't, they don't get in and read God's Word and hear what God has to say to them. They don't, they don't contemplate God and the things of God. They don't look for how God is working in their life. They don't spend time in prayer to God and then listen for God's voice through the Holy Spirit to, to guide them. 
Oh, they may come to church and go through the motions. They sit. Maybe they never, you know, really take in the message. Maybe they go through the motions of taking communion. Maybe they even give to the offering, but there's no real sacrifice. Maybe they, they just do it as a checkoff list. Okay, I've done this. Where's the joy? You see, the joy is found in the relationship. And all these things are just tools to help us in the relationship. You know, when we come to church and we sing, there should be some feeling of the Spirit working in our lives. We should take in the words of those songs and, and we should be saying in our mind, Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in me. I heard about a, a church. It was a straight-laced church. They were a very serious church. And this one lady came to visit one day and she walks into the service and the service had already been going on and the preacher was preaching and she sat down and the first thing the, she heard the preacher say, she, she, she thought it was great. And she jumped up and she said, Amen. And one of, the, uh, uh, one of the ushers came down and said, Ma'am, you can't do that in here. We're serious about our worship. You've got to sit down. And she listened for a little longer and the preacher said something else she liked. She jumped up and said, Hallelujah. Well, this time one of the deacons went down and said, Ma'am, you've got to sit back down. You can't, you can't be doing that in here. And a little bit later, the preacher said something else she liked, and she jumped up and said, Praise the Lord. Well, the head, head elder went down, and he said, Lady, you've got to sit down and shut up, or you're going to have to leave. She said, I'm sorry, but I've got joy. He said, Well, you didn't get it here. the opposite. There, there should be no way when we come to a worship service that we're prevented from having some joy. If you're connected with God and connected with the Holy Spirit, it should be a natural thing that as you sing and as you pray these prayers and as you read these words on the screen and hear the message of God that you don't say, wow, God is blessing my life. God has given me something that I can use as I go out into this world and embrace those people who do not know Jesus Christ. And listen to me, there's something that every one of you can do as we go out into this world to help people connect with the Lord, to bring joy into their lives. There was a little girl, she went to Sunday school regularly. She was in the elementary class, and, and Dr. Um, Dr. David Cervera, uh, I have a hard time with his name. Dr. Cavera, Sir Cavera, his wife taught the Sunday school class. And one Sunday she taught these little kids about serving the Lord. And after they got through with the lesson, this little girl, timid little girl, quiet little girl, said, Teacher, what can I do to serve the Lord? Well, the teacher really wasn't prepared to answer that specifically, and she just looked around the room. She saw a little vase sitting in the window that was empty, and she said, well, you can bring a flower and put in that vase every week, and that will be what you can do for now to serve the Lord. And the little girl said, well, that's nothing. How's that going to help anybody? 
She said, just do it and see what happens. And so the little girl brought the flower in the next week, a little dandelion she had picked out of the yard and put it in the vase. Well, it kind of brightened up the room. Some of the other kids made comments, that flower's pretty, especially the girl. And so every week, without being prompted anymore or told what to do, the little girl every week brought a flower and put in that vase. Different flowers, you know, usually a yellow flower, and put it in the vase every week. Well, this impressed the teacher, so she went to the preacher and told him, you know, I taught this lesson, this little girl uh, told her what to do, and every week, without anybody saying anything, she's faithful to bring that flower and put it in the vase. And the preacher says, bring that vase and set it by the pulpit. I'm going to preach on service, and I'm going to use that. And he told the congregation about what that little girl did. You know, every week, she committed to bring that flower, and she stayed good on her commitment. One day, the, the teacher's husband, the doctor, Dr. Sarah Corvira, he got a phone call from her mom, said she's not feeling well, she's lethargic, and we don't know what's wrong with her. And he said, bring her in to my office, I'll work her in in the morning. And they brought her in, and they ran some tests, and it turns out the little girl had a, a terrible sickness. She had leukemia. And the prognosis was it was the kind that's untreatable, and she was not going to live. And so she progressively began to go downhill. For a long time, she made good on her commitment and brought the flower every Sunday, but eventually she was not able to come to church, and she laid home in the bed and lost weight and was dwindling away. On one Sunday, the preacher was preaching, and he stopped in the middle of the service, and his eyes were glued to the back of the church, and eventually people began to turn around and, and look, and they began to see that that little girl, her parents had brought her to church, bundled in a blanket, but in her hand, they saw that she had a little yellow flower. And they set her down, and she gradually made her way to the front and put that flower in the vase, making good on her commitment. Four days later, she passed away. You, you, you may sit there in the pew and ask yourself, what can I do? How can I serve? Just look around. There's an empty vase somewhere that needs a flower. There's somebody in your office that needs encouragement. There's somebody that needs prayer. There's somebody that needs to know the Lord. You get to drift. There's something that all of us can do if we just look. So start looking for empty vases and put something in them. And in the process, point people to Jesus Christ. Because people need the Lord. And that's what Peter is telling the church here, that we should commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. Here's our connection. A strong commitment to engage our city will lead to many to the saving grace of Christ. You know, as we serve our city, we will connect with many who don't know the love and grace of the Lord. And we can have an impact on them. Maybe it's just some small way. Maybe all you do is plant a seed and somebody else waters. But eventually, if we do this, 
we will have a hand in bringing more and more people to Jesus Christ. I read this week about, you know, the company FedEx. I laughed. Somebody said if FedEx and UPS merged, would it be called Fed Up? But FedEx is a huge company. They deliver 4 million packages every day. They have routes all over the United States. Every street in the United States receives service from FedEx. 220 countries they're in. They have over 170,000 employees, 675 aircrafts, 50,000 ground transportation vehicles, and 1,800 office locations. It's, it's a little bit mind-blowing, but somehow FedEx has figured out with all these people to coordinate everything so you can have a package delivered next day. They figured that out, and they do a very good job of it. They know how to send packages well. Jesus Christ has called you to send his message. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do it well if you will do it. And there are 2.4 billion of us Christians in the world. We should be doing a better job of taking his message to this lost and dying and skydiving morally world that we live in. And he's assigned us to Bristol. Church, let's make a commitment. Commitment to suffer for the cause of Christ and help get his message out to this lost and dying world. Be a Sarah. Put a flower in a vase somewhere. Put a prayer in somebody's heart. Do something to help take the message to the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for Jesus that he suffered. He didn't ask us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. And Lord, he went out into this world and despite all the ridicule and all the people coming against him, he took your message to help show people your love and your grace and to bring them to a saving knowledge that you want all men to be saved. And so I pray that you help us to take up that mantle today and that we will go and be your suffering servants in this lost and dying world. In Jesus' name I pray and praise. Amen.